I know I have sat in these kinds of meetings, and I've wondered if I could ask that question. Because who's going to know who asked the question and who didn't ask the question? Let me make something clear. Uh, if you ask a sensitive question, your name's not going to appear on the question. We're not going to publish these on our blog with your name and email address. So it's very, what I'm saying is it's, this is very uh, discreet. If you want to ask a question that you think might be helpful for the person sitting next to you, number one, don't do that. But number two, and let, ask, <laughs> but, but if you ask a sensitive question because you want it addressed, then, then know that your question will be uh, discreet, okay? We won't know who, I don't know who's asking these questions and neither will anyone else. Is that, that clear? All right, you ready? Send us questions right now, do it. All right, so here's the first question. Do you see it as a good or bad idea for pastors that have a social media page or should a staff member screen the post? What a, uh, all right, that's a great question. Um, do you see it as good or bad idea for pastors to have a social media page? We're gonna put the questions on the big screen so everybody can see it. Not, okay. Or should a staff member screen the post? Well, I, I, I think that depends on how wise the senior pastor is in posting stuff. <laughs> I can think of a couple of political candidates that I wish somebody had screened most of their posts, but yeah. that's not happening apparently. Yeah. But um, I, think, I think Glenn made a perfect, I'll let you guys weigh in on this because I know both of you are on social media. I'm on social media. I think Glenn's explanation of that was so beautiful that it's faith. And that I think if you ignore that space, it's to your own peril. I think if you ignore social media, then you're ignoring yeah. a huge opportunity to communicate to a lot of members of your church. So I'm on Instagram, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter and all those things, but, and I blog. Uh, the reason I do that is because I want to communicate. I want to be a part of the conversations that are happening. Yeah. And for pastors to ignore that, I think, uh, you're ignoring an opportunity to be uh, a part of the conversation. You've just taken yourself out of the conversation when you ignore it. Uh, so how do you guys feel about it? Well, how, what's your, what do you say to yourself? How do you guys hold each other accountable? And I, I know this from my wife. I show Pam, if I'm going to post something that I know is going to cause problems, I, I look at Pam, Pam, could you read that? And she goes, do not post that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many deletes from the voice of the Lord, a.k.a. Pam. Yeah. Because God sounds like Pam to me, and Pam sounds like God. That called me. So, what do you guys? How do you guys feel about social media, and how do you use it? Yeah, we we uh, have that running joke with us, like the things we wish we could post. We send to each other, and get a <laughs> get a little laugh, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I I I think it's a great way to communicate and to um, just build a rapport with a with a. a a larger group of people, so I think it's a, a good thing. There has to be parameters for for everybody. Um, um, you know, we we tell our pastors or or even staff members, we we say once you come on staff, then there's certain things that you can't post. So I don't want anybody posting something. Uh, this is just my conviction about uh, political things. So I don't want them to make a joke about somebody, even because it's funny or we might like it, because we're trying to reach people in the church, and I don't, I don't want to create division just while we're trying to present Christ to people. So that's just something. I even called one of the guys I, you know, I like at on staff hangout, just like, hey, can you take that down? Because I think it's funny, but yeah, you know. So, uh, but um, yeah, I, I guess think? I think too that we're as leaders 
we're responsible for the reputation of our church. There is an element of responsibility in that. And so what you post matters. And so we mm -hmm. have our, so much of our church is young people. And so then our staff, we're like the old people. And so we've had to parent them as well. And not, you know, what he just said. So be mindful about what you post because it, it represents us and the church. Yeah. And so, but we, we do use it and yeah. Yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's a great way. But also uh, as a, a leader, I like to not make it all serious, only posts about scriptures. I, I like to show like who we are. So I, I like funny things just in, yeah. you know, random things that and we're baseball, doing. And baseball, be honest. Baseball. <laughs> post a few Dodger, right? you know, stats or. Right. It's a good time to be a Dodgers fan. All right, I, I, another thing we talk about, I, I, mean, I think we should be involved in the political discussion as long as it's not mean and divisive. Yeah. Right. So I don't mind yeah. political posts. I don't mind. I mean, we have Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians that are on our staff and in our church. So we're very diverse politically, although most people think we're extreme right-wing church. We're actually not. We're extremely diverse in our yeah. political opinions. So I don't want our pastors to feel muffled or muzzled uh, that they can't express opinions, but they can't be mean. They can't be divisive and it can't be an attack. Don't attack. If somebody has to lose in order for your opinion to win, then you shouldn't post it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but if you want to bring up something thoughtful and uh, think of something that would raise a good discussion, fine, but don't attack. Don't be mean spirited and don't be divisive. Uh, be helpful. And so the question I always ask is I'm about to hit post. Is this going to be helpful? Yeah. Is this going to speak life or speak death? The power of life and death is in our tongue and also in our social media post. And blessed are those who eat the fruit of it. Right. And I tell staff, listen, you're going to eat the fruit of what you're about to post. Proverbs 18:21. Yeah. The power of life and death is in our tongue and blessed are those who eat the, enjoy the fruit of it. So is it going to be life-giving? Is it going to be helpful? Great, post it. If it's going to be divisive or mean, is it going to cause division or strife? I don't have time for that and neither should they. All right, here's another one. How do you handle inevitable differences in ministry philosophy? Uh, among staff. In other words, somebody on your staff feels differently about the way you do church. How do you handle that? I have a strong opinion on that, but uh, I want to hear from yeah. you guys. Um, so when people have an inherent disagreement with philosophy or the way you do things, um, how do you handle it? What's your response? What's the Well, um, if I understand the question correctly uh, our church is a very diverse church in in the people who attend the the racial makeup the background and and so forth uh, but when it comes to ministry uh, we always try to be honoring to other churches and other leaders and and there's there's a hundred different ways to do ministry but when they come on staff I'm asking them to buy in a hundred percent to what we're doing and how we're doing it and so if we get together to discuss worship or small groups or whatever, and we tweak it a little, we come to an agreement, they might have different opinions. But once we agree, that's what I want everybody to be supportive of. So I, I just think that um, if there's too much, then maybe somebody doesn't fit anymore or something. But I think we're not, um, you, I mean, we don't want just a bunch of yes people around yeah. us. So yeah. we open the conversation yeah, for if we're going to you know, have an event or do a sermon series or whatever we're about to do. So people will weigh in and disagree yeah. with what we want to, you know, how we see something happening. But at the end of the day, this is where we're headed. Yeah. So. 
and I, I think there's a collaborative uh, model of leadership that the millennials are really hungry for. In other yeah. words, can I, I'm invited to the table, but I, do I have to sit quietly and listen at the table, or, or am I actually invited to the table, and do my opinions matter? Yeah. I think those are two different questions. Yes, uh, we should invite you to the table, and the only reason, I have, I have a big conviction that if you're in a meeting and you withhold information, you, you disqualify yourself from being in the meeting. So if you're going to sit in my meeting with me and, and withhold your opinion or not share your best ideas, you've wasted my time and yours. And so that had, literally the leader of the meeting has to make that, uh, create that environment, though, for disagreement. Yeah. And a lot of times the reason we as senior pastors are not getting people's opinions and best ideas is because we're not welcoming them. We're not inviting them. And yeah. so we have to, I have to constantly remind people. Please give me your ideas. Yeah. Please tell me what you're thinking. I agree with you, Pastor yeah. Philip, that at the end of the day, once we agree on something, let's, let's own it. Like th this is a, a, a second conviction. Once we agree on a, meet, a, a decision, if you cannot defend the decision after the meeting, then you have disqualified yourself from any future meetings. So here's two rules. Number one, uh, say, say anything. Say whatever yeah. you want in the meeting, with respect, obviously, but give, a, give me your feedback. Give me your opinion. That's rule number one. Rule number two is this. If you cannot defend the team's decision after the meeting is over, then you can't come back to the meeting. So in other words, if you're going to disagree with it, disagree with it in front of all of us. Own it with us. Fight for your ideas. Speak up. Tell, tell me what you're thinking. But once we have agreed on a decision... Because here's what happens, right? Uh, we're about to make an announcement this Sunday on a decision that we've made about the church. And we're gonna, I'm going to announce it to my church this Sunday. And, and if you're a new lifer, you're just going to have to wait until this Sunday to find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's a very big decision. And it was done with a great deal of conversation and debate. And we wrestled with it. And we thought about it. We prayed about it. At the, and I know what's going to happen. After I make this announcement on Sunday, some well-meaning new lifers, godly good people, are going to come up to my staff and go, hey, What's really going on? What's really happening? <laughs> Tell me the inside scoop. Did you agree with that? Did you, did you agree with that decision? I can't believe they're doing that. And what I expect from my team is to own it with me. Right. To own it. Say, absolutely, we agree with this. This is where we're headed. I think it's a great idea. If they don't agree with it, the time to disagree would have been in that meeting, not yeah. in front of the congregation. Yeah. I think that's the, the important thing that um, I, I, I agree with both of what you said. I, I guess I was addressing the idea of once you get going, if there's a problem and go, well, you know, I had a different opinion, you know, then it's really. That's when you're in trouble with me, too. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. All right, here's a great one. Um, how have you practiced healthy rhythms that have kept you refreshed and away from burnout? And obviously, um, we have, we've watched these stories of other pastors unfolding in front of us and um, a pastor's burning out. Yeah. We just had a pastor, a friend of mine in Nashville who just resigned, very public resignation. Um, I've been in contact with him and, and have had conversations with him, and he has, he's told me some of the things that he was wrestling with. Um, I, I feel, we've talked about some of this just a moment ago, but have you guys ever been close to burning out? Can you share with me any of that? Have you ever been to a place where you realized that your tank was empty and that you and that it was not a quick fix to refill it. I think that's the definition of burnout, you, uh, because we all get tired, and a, you know, a day or two later we feel refreshed. Burnout is when you can't refuel in a short amount of time. Burnout is when you realize this is gonna take weeks or months to refuel my tank, and what pastors do is they, put, they, they, they keep plowing through, 
uh, and burnout is, is awful. So have you, have you guys ever been close to that and how did you refuel? Yeah, um, a, a little over three years ago, we um, bought a building, a new building for us at the church in LA. It it's, um, was built in 1927, this cathedral building. And it was really quite a miracle. And, and getting in, uh, August was our big month. We we're celebrating, it was exciting, September. And then um, all of a sudden I started hitting a wall physically and emotionally, um, I don't know, late September, and where I would just wake up tired, hoping for a time for a nap before noon, you know. And, um, you know, I'd taken the staff through Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero a couple years earlier, and so we were aware of it, and we talked about it, and um, I just misread my own signals, I guess, and... Um, it, it was really hard to uh, realize, like, man, I got to take a break, and this is not a good time. You know, we just got in. We're establishing a new thing. So um, we, we uh, took um, a bit of a sabbatical, um, and I, I wasn't really good. At, I, we didn't, I didn't really do it well. I, I did the best I could. But then when I got back, I got back to um, uh, a lead senior pastor saying, I've decided to go plant a church nearby and uh, took a bunch of people. So that, that moment dis you know, disappeared. And so I kind of went through a, a few things where um, it, it impacted me a lot. So, and I noticed a lot of books coming out and I, I, I read yours and I read Bill Hybels and, and different people, the simplicity that he wrote and, and, um, so it's been, uh, it's been a journey. What, what surprised me is talking about it, being aware of it, but not being able to read your signals. And there's a difference between taking a day off and getting refreshed yes. or, uh, you know, not being involved for a little bit, but being refreshed, you know, I guess. And so it's just like we were joking earlier about the vacation with the kids and without. Yeah. And, and so... Uh, uh, you know, mo many times there's just been things where, you know, take an extra weekend off or taking a week off, you know, it's better, but that, that wasn't helping. So I had to change a few things. And, um, so it's, it's become something that I'm trying to pay a lot more attention to. And I, and I, then I started thinking about it as a lead pastor, like, you know, over spiritualizing it where I, I take the brunt of everything, you know, it, it, that attacks and all that kind of stuff. But then I realized, well, wait a minute, if I'm getting, going through that stuff, then my key pastors are also, so it's not like they don't face this because I do. So then it made me more aware of them and asking like the second and third question, how are you doing? Yeah. And, um, but it, it was, I, I appreciate it. I think it was, was it Glenn would talk about that every few years, you, or seven years, how many yeah, years? Every seven years. Every seven years. Your staff gets a... Yeah, so every seven years, every full-time person on our staff, from no matter what your position is, every full-time person gets a paid sabbatical every seven years. And that is for how long? It depends on their what their okay. responsibility is, uh, and we've kind of tiered it, and, and it's also based on what they've carried, yeah. the season they're coming out of, so it's a subjective in that way. Uh, but it's uh, very generous, it's paid, and we have a pre-sabbatical uh, thing that we go through, some questions, and a post-sabbatical survey that we give them when they come back. Uh, 
but it's probably been the single healthiest thing that I've done for our pastoral and ministry no, team at New Life awesome Church. No, I think it's awesome because uh, yeah, we went 30 years without, we just never entered our mind to do that. And then he has this, you know, hits this wall and was tricky as I wasn't there. I was like, What's the matter with you? We just got this great building. Which is really always helpful when you <laughs> want to get refreshed. Like, this is amazing. Get over we're, it. Right. We're right. in this oh. building. And anyway, so, so I kind of had, had a forced sabbatical because he was taking some time off. So it shifted me. And anyway, so it was really crucial that we did that. But I just think we waited about 10 years too long. How long did you take? It was eight weeks. I, I think... Um, the the first thing that we did, Amelia, I I, can't, I think it was around six or seven. I think it uh, okay it got shorter because yeah. the bozo. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but but here's the other thing. Then he got um, um. So we come back from that. We deal. Then we have to deal with that really challenging situation. And then Philip gets cancer. So then we had a whole other season to navigate with him. So there was just a year that was kind of brutal in there. You guys just touched on two things that I want to point out. There, I have found, and I did an exhaustive amount of research when I wrote Addicted to Busy. I interviewed so many people that had burned out of ministry, and I found two common threads for burnout. You need to write these down, okay? Number one, if you're building a building or buying land, it is, it is unbelievable how much stress that adds to a pastor. When you're renovating space, buying property, buy, building a new building, uh, it adds a tremendous burden to pastors to add that to their already full list of responsibilities. And I found that as a common thread, by the way. When you mentioned that right away, uh, the pastor that married my wife and I uh, committed suicide when he started building a building. He couldn't take it. He was in his 60s, and the stress of building a new building overwhelmed him, and he was already struggling with depression. And, nobody, and he didn't. as a pastor, we don't know how to talk about mental health. We don't know how to talk about our own mental health. Oftentimes, we dismiss it. We think that it's a problem that can be solved with spiritual means when sometimes it's more than just spiritual. It's physical sure. and psychological. And there's a lot of uh, interwoven fabrics to depression and mental health that we better become bit more aware of. Uh, so I'm very aware that when we're buying property, and we're doing that right now, we're, we're merging with a church right now. Mm -hmm. And so it's, an, it's, an, it's a... Uh, there's a church that we're acquiring property. We're going through all the due diligence. We're at, well, that's on top of my normal responsibilities. Yeah. And to build a building, meeting with architects, doing charrette meetings, uh, meeting with designers, uh, fundraising. It's an amazing amount of stress that comes yeah. on a pastor when you have to do uh, extra lunches and extra meetings when you're raising millions of dollars sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing. Be, just be p very aware. If you're going to go into a building campaign, create space for yourself. You cannot add that to your list and expect to come out of that healthy and whole. You, it won't happen. All right, here's the second thing is internal strife on your staff. Yeah. Yeah. When you're having internal strife with key, loyal, important staff members, you better be aware that it's going to drain your batteries really quick. Because these are people that are carrying the weight. Think about, here's the, the mental picture. Think about eight of you carrying a really heavy weight over your heads and you're on a long journey, carrying this heavy weight over your head. And suddenly, one of those people who was carrying one-eighth of the weight steps out. But the weight and the burden and the responsibility doesn't change. And you're suddenly on a long march, a long journey with one less person holding up the weight. 
And that, you're headed for burnout. You're headed for a collapse. You add those two things together, yeah. where you're building a building or acquiring space and dealing with significant internal staff issues, your body's going to respond. My doctor told me this. I just had my gallbladder out in, uh, in May. That's a lot of fun, by the way, if you want to plan some really exciting times. Um, <laughs> the, um, but my doctor said that the gallbladder is a place that your body carries stress. I never heard this. My, my MD said to me, Brady, it's very common when men and women go through internal stress that their gallbladder is, in, uh, is the first place that it shows up. And so I had my gallbladder out in May, which should have been a sign to me that, hey, what's going on? And... But we, there's physical things that you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Now your, body doesn't, your body doesn't, you know, we know how to manage healthy stress, normal daily stress. But when it's extra stress, when it's extreme stress comes into your body, if you're not paying attention to your physiological, spiritual condition, you will burn out. And there, there's no way to pass go and collect 200 bucks. You're going you're gonna to pay the price for it. So I hope, I hope you pay, if that's happening in your world right now, that you pay attention to that. And if both those things are happening, Lord help you. I mean, seriously, stop and get some help for that. I think we, we have to learn, too, about how to read ourselves honestly. And a lot of times your, your spouse is great at that. But then sometimes it's just getting professional or, or, or even, you know, talking to somebody that's studied a lot or learned a lot about it with the, the stress. And, and I just had read something recently that stuck out to me is that, when things are going well spiritually, like we were having the biggest growth, most salvations, church, you know, added a thousand people in a month, which was huge for us. And, and uh, that's huge for anyone, by the way. That's <laughs> gigantic. Yeah. Triple the children's ministry. And so I read about Moses when he struck the rock, when he was supposed to speak to it, and the water came out. And so he's like, See, God's doing miracles, but it didn't address what was going on in the inside, which cost him. Wow. And, and so sometimes we're like, hey, it's growing. I'm good. Mm. That's a different thing. That's beautiful. That's powerful. Uh, this is a great question. And the two of you may be uniquely qualified to answer this because you're working together. There's a conflict or a problem that involves the other spouse. So a husband and a wife, nepotism. It's a good old-fashioned nepotism. A family, and we have several families in our staff that are all on staff here with us. Um, husband and wife on staff together. Maybe a husband and their kids are on staff together. So we have this at New Life. Um, a staff member feels like your spouse isn't doing their job. How do they appeal? If someone's upset with Pastor Phillip, and it's legitimate. Yeah. Pastor Phillip's made a mistake. Not that that would ever happen. But no, it, never. this is totally hypothetical. How do you handle family? Do your kids, do you, either your kids work for you on no. your staff? How, how do you handle conflict among family when one family member is pitted against another staff and they don't know how to appeal, they don't know how to raise their hand and protest? It's um, a good question. So, yeah, we're, we are not perfect. He's made leadership errors. I've made leadership errors. And... Uh, there have, there have been times when, you know, people would come and go, I, I've tried to have this conversation with Philip, but he didn't hear this, and this is what I think should happen, and what's happening. And I, my first response is to reassure them, but also that we're a unit. So I will never uh, I try to bring division here, but I will also not try to cover up something either. So I will come to him and go, we need to have a conversation with 
so-and-so because they're bringing actually a legitimate issue and I, maybe you could, should consider it this way. And so he has learned, okay, let me back up. I have epically failed sometimes in my communication with Philip in that I uh, can be too forceful and so with, with a legitimate issue. So I've learned to communicate a legitimate complaint or legitimate issue in a respectful way so that the issue then gets addressed. But I'm not going to pretend there isn't an issue, and at the same time, I'm not going to try to let somebody else's problem try to create division here because that would be a catastrophe. So um, I take, does that make sense? Yep. Does that make sense, sort of? Okay. You want to fix anything I just said? <laughs> so the Dodgers are going to be in the playoffs. Just a, <laughs> no, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, um, that can get tricky. I, I think that just like a, uh, a husband and wife, mother and father, that there's a situation that, that comes up, then we go and talk about it and deal with it. And I want staff to feel like they can come, you know, and be honest and talk to us. I don't want people just burying things that need to be addressed. And so we want to cultivate that while at the same time having an honoring uh, environment. That's just a huge value with us is honor. And so um, I think that, that we've talked about it. And um, if, if somebody is working with Holly and they're having, um, um, there's a problem in communication or something, I might talk to them a little bit, but then I might just say, well, I think you should go talk to her. And like, so go and, and bring that to her and let her speak for herself on the situation. Well, we have found this, that when families work together, it can be awesome or awful. And there's really no space in between it. it so when families work together on a staff, we have to over-communicate expectations and work extra hard to allow for a positive uh, response to problems. Because if you don't, listen, the natural response on the team is to avoid conflict. We know that. Most people do not enjoy conflict. And they, they like it even less when they have to go to a family member to complain about another family member. So we have to, if, you're gonna, if we're going to, in which we do, I believe families should work together on the staff as long as, as long as there is open communication and there is honest dialogue and there is a place for people to protest when things go wrong. If that ever breaks down, listen, nepotism, there are nepotism laws in place for a reason because it can be bad, it can be awful, it can be destructive, but it can also be miraculous if you're super intentional about conversation. The moment you get lazy with it, the moment you start neglecting it, you'll, you'll look up one day and your whole staff will be toxic. And it's really based on families not knowing how to work together. But when they're working together, great, it's amazing, it's awesome, it's, a, it's, a, it's revolutionary. The early church was built on families. Every, almost all the early churches had families leading it. Uh, people yeah. that were related to one another leading the church. That's not a problem, as long as you're very intentional. Hey, Brady, how, yep. how do, you, do you have some ideas about um, when you have uh, uh, spouses working for you? In, so you ha you're hiring people in families. Do you have some guidelines, like you don't have one reporting to the other? Or yes, that's rule number one. Now, we have that happening at New Life because their gifts are so uniquely uh, beneficial to be in the same department. But if possible, I'll try to separate family, if possible. Uh, I think it works best for families to not report to one another, to be separate on the org chart. 
for to be in uh, different departments if possible. Now, again, we have some exceptions to that rule because maybe a husband and a wife together, they're an amazing couple for an area of ministry, and they need to work together in order to be really good together. Mm-hmm. So it's not a hard, fast rule, but uh, I try to separate family if, if at all possible. Uh, it just creates a more healthy dynamic on the team. Yeah. Uh, and that's true for small churches and large churches. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, but I do think that uh, as a family, the, the, the married people themselves have to be extra uh, intentional about telling the rest of the team, please come to me if there's a problem with my spouse. Yeah. Just saying that once every few months, say, hey, by the way, I know I'm working here with my husband, if, and I know it may be awkward for you to come to me. Please come to me. Please tell us what you're feeling. Make going overboard almost. Just going that extra mile to assure people that they're not going to be punished for yeah. bringing up issues about their spouses, about their families. You have to go overboard with it for it to work, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. All right. um, go to the next one, because I think we covered that one. Go to the, give me another question. Uh, you got any more? Any more questions? All right. One more. Wait for it. Okay. This is a great, what are you guys doing to be a faithful presence in L.A.? I know you have generosity.org as your mm-hmm. organization. Can you tell us more about that? How, how is your church, Oasis Church, meeting the greatest areas of need in L.A.? And what would you say to the rest of us about engaging in our city, about expressing being faithful presence in our city? Let me just talk about some, and then you can finish with okay. the .org conversation. Um, well, one of the things that I had some of our team do is actually go around our city and ask um, from the police department to child services to what can we do for you to actually find the felt needs in our city because some people go well we'll just start a food bank well maybe a food bank isn't actually what your community needs maybe there are other needs and so for us one of the first things we did was we started working in schools cleaning up the schools we provided earthquake packs for we live in Los Angeles, earthquake packs for all the kids in classrooms, and they were blown away that a church would do that. And then that gave us access to more and access to more, but it started with us actually asking the question, what can we do? And then the police department came to us, and the first thing they asked us to do, because again, they were like, "Um, um," they said, well, what's really needed is mentoring. So we started our own Big Brother program in church and started, you know, that whole Big Brother, Big Sister concept because that was needed and, and tutoring and right. tutoring. tutoring so yeah. and then oh, they, that's actually the other thing that's tutoring so every saturday a lot of kids come from the community and we provide tutoring and then adults that need tutoring as well so that's what was needed so that's how we have just been that kind of presence is we actually asked what the needs were and began to meet it and then graffiti removal we do that so it's kind of those needs saturday is typically for us uh, our community outreach day and there are hundreds of people every Saturday doing different things in the community. And then we would have big one-off events. But um, anyway, asking the community, and I think that that has helped. And then one more thing, sorry. And then but just one of the cool things about the police department is that we earn their trust. And so I was invited to an event recently, and I went to uh, the gathering of some police and the a couple of the captains I met, and they said, you know, our guys are really discouraged right now because of all that's going on. Um, our police departments weren't experiencing, but others were there were multiracial police departments, but just hearing all the talk and hearing the media, just how they process it, and it's just like us being leaders going under uh, through stress and asking for some 
prayer and being available to help. And, and so I thought that was great that they were willing to, to invite that. So that just came out of starting, like, cleaning up graffiti. And Most so. of our city leaders are accustomed to churches telling them what they're doing. Uh, you just made a brilliant point. Uh, very few churches have learned the art of asking the question. And if you'll just go to, uh, this is what we've done. We go to the mayor. We went to the police chief. We went to the fire chief. We met with other nonprofits in, in the city, other religious and non-religious nonprofits, and asked the same question. What are the areas in our city that are not being met or are being underserved? Those are the two questions. What are the needs that are not being met? And what are the areas that are being underserved? And we got a list of about seven things that they told us. Pastor Brady, we don't need another food bank. They said, we have four or five food banks. We, we have food banks. We have clothing. We have, uh, we have uh, apartments for alcoholics. But we don't have any place to send single moms. When we find them on the streets with their kids, there's nowhere to send a single yeah. mom with her kids. That's why we built an apartment complex for homeless single wow. moms, based That's on great. that one question that we got the answer from. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, and you just made a great point, Pastor Philip. They are also accustomed to churches promising a lot and doing very little. And the fact that you've been in Oasis for 30 years and you showed up at those meetings and you've been faithful to do what you said you would do. Uh, let me just say this uh, as, as strongly as I feel it. We're living in a postmodern, post-church culture. The church will not be invited to the table to meet your city's greatest needs unless you've already made up your mind to be a part of the solution. So if you're not going to take care of the poor in your city, you will not be invited to the meetings in your city. Our influence is not, this is not... This is not 1950 anymore. Right. And we're not the primary influence in our country anymore. We're postmodern, post-church. We are. And so the only way we're going to get invited to the table to be a part of the solution is to, is to show them that we're committed to taking care of the poor in our city. Yeah. And so if we're not committed to it, don't, don't be uh, discouraged if you're not invited to, yeah. to the table to be a part of the sol solutions in your city. And I can tell you now, I get invitations almost every day yeah. to come to the mayor's office, to meet with the sheriff's department, to, because they know we're serious. Right. We're yeah. very serious. Yeah. And so they see us as a partner. Yeah. They don't that's see great. us as, as someone uh, that's there to, uh, to do harm. They see us as a, as a place that's doing good. So. That's great. Like one of the things that, um, well, it's like God didn't anoint government to heal the brokenhearted. He anointed us. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and for us, you know, we've been married for a lot of years in a row, which in our cities is kind of a miracle. So, you know, we've been married and then w and even in the, and so we feel this responsibility to teach our, our city and our communities about healthy relationships. And so that would be one way that we serve our community. So we have like a Love Works night that we have coming up that the community is invited to and our police captain came to us and said the marriages in our police department are failing so can you help us yep so it's just stepping into the gap where there's need but if they see us as a place where they can get help instead of a place dictating them our moral standards so the church is if we're, we're going to be viewed every church right now in the culture we're viewed as moral dictators and, and that's how they see us. If you ask them how the church is viewed by non-church people, they would, they would identify us as moral dictators, that we're about moral behavior. But when we prove to them that we care about broken humanity, and when we, care to them that, when we prove to them that we're willing to come alongside them and meet the areas of greatest pain, that gives us the opportunity later to have conversations about uh, spirituality and Christ. But if we have got to get serious about taking care of our cities, before we can ever get serious about uh, sharing good news. Good works and good news go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah.
And if you're not, if you're just sharing good news without doing good works, then you're only doing half the gospel. <laughs> Share the good news while doing good works. Yes. And just one other thought um, is that if the, for those of you that are maybe church planners or you're new in this, don't set yourself up to fail. So don't try to do 10 things. Just try one. Just pick one thing and be great at it. Yeah, let me tell you this, okay, this is, and we're going to end our lunch with me saying this, all right, go into lunch with this. I don't say to our church, I, I hardly, if I say it, it's just a slip of the tongue. I don't, say, I don't tell our church to go change the world. That's way too big. Right. No, by the way, none of you are going to change the world. I'm not going to change the world. What I can is I can change my heart, I can change my home, and I can change my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So start there. Yep. And then if we all did that, we'll look up one day and the world changed. But stop, we have to stop using this giant, grandiose language to our church. Go yeah. be world changers. Well, nobody can do that. But if you'll be changes in your home and changes in your neighborhood, we'll look up one day and all of our neighborhoods will be healthy and whole because we did the little things that led to the big things. And so start small. I think that's brilliant. Guys, Philip Polly, I'm so grateful that you were here today. We're so grateful for your impact and your wisdom. So thankful. And I want to I say this, uh, your friends were right. I like you. You're awesome. You're good people. I've gotten to know you just sitting here today, and I hope that uh, you felt the same.